Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining me for episode 42 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. My name is Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. As a quick reminder, you can find detailed show notes to this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 42, the number 42. I'm doing something a little different with this episode, and um, I'd like to get your feedback on it, by the way, before I forget to ask you. Um, so I'd love to get your comments once you've had a chance to listen to this um, in the comments area of the show notes page. Again, b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 42. But I'm doing a Q&A session today. And a few weeks ago, I announced that I, w- I had installed a new feature uh, on the site. And it's actually not uh, – actually, there's there's no button on it yet, but we're going to create a, a little icon for it so you have quick access to it. But I give you a URL where you could go and leave me a quick voicemail message with a question that you might have about growing your freelance business, about uh, managing projects, whatever. And um, – and I had uh, seven or eight of you leave me a voicemail with with a question, and I, I appreciate that. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to play those questions, and I'm going to go ahead and answer them. If you're interested in doing this, and if the feedback is is positive, I'm going to start doing a Q and A episode like this every few weeks. And let me just give you that URL. And again, we're going to create an icon for this on the website so you have quick access to it. But in the meantime, you can go to speakpipe.com forward slash Ed Gandia. I'll include a link to that in the show notes, but speakpipe is in speak and then a pipe of, of water, uh, speakpipe.com forward slash Ed Gandia altogether. So check it out. It's very easy once you're there. Just um, leave me a quick question. All I ask is that you keep it to a minute or under So and keep the question focused and detailed. The better, uh, the more detailed the question, the more focused it is, the better an answer I can give you. So keep them coming. What I'll do is when I get enough for a full show, uh, and again, assuming that the feedback is positive, I'll go ahead and record a new episode with just... Q&A um, for, for that show. So let's go ahead and get to it. I'm not really going to introduce these. I'll just go ahead and play each one individually, and I'll go ahead and provide as detailed an answer as I can, and let's see where this goes. Hi, Ed. My name is Christine Perizzo, uh, www.christineparizzo.com, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-P-A-R-I-Z-O.com. Uh, my question is, what titles am I looking for when I am trying to get in touch with the person who commissions white papers and case studies within software companies? Because these are the people that I am most interested in talking to, and they would be very interested in talking to me. So what, what title am I looking for, and what's the best way to approach them? Is it creepy to dig up their emails um, by using something like peep mail? Thank you, Christine. Great question. And I have a couple of ideas for you. First of all, when it comes to the title, 
And if you're going after uh, the corporate market, the best title to go for is either some sort of marketing manager, and there are all kinds of variants of that. So uh, marketing manager, digital marketing manager, uh, marketing communications manager, social media marketing manager, I mean, you name it. But you, you'll see the, the title or you'll see the, the words marketing and manager somewhere in there. Uh, the other one would be marketing director. Uh, and again, there are many variants of that. Um, I found that over the years, it, it's uh, I used to go after VPs of marketing uh, when I started out. But I, I found that to be, and especially today, uh, kind of ineffective because they're going to be passing that down anyway. And even though that could be great, so if you if you contact a VP of marketing, it could be great if they pass it down to one of their subordinates you know, it carries more weight, right? If your boss sends you something and says, check in on this, you're probably going to pay attention to it. But you're taking a chance that they will pass it down to someone. So what I found is marketing managers and marketing directors are the ones who have hiring authority anyway for freelance writers. And um, so they're making their own decisions. They're the best ones to contact anyway, uh, everything else being equal. Now, in terms of what's the best way to approach them, that's kind of a big question. I don't know if there's a best way. I can tell you what my favorite way is, uh, and that is email. So I have a process called Warm Email Prospecting. It's a system that I've developed uh, over the, gosh, if more than 10 years. Really, when I, when I was in sales, I started doing this. I didn't know what it was called. I just thought it made sense, and I've refined it over the years. And um, it works really well for kind of run-in-the-mill standard weekly prospecting. So if you're going after, um, if you're working a list of, let's say, 100 companies or just little by little, right, you don't want to do a mass broadcast with warm mule prospecting. Warm mule prospecting um, is very personalized, is very one-on-one. It's a customize email communication from you to a very specific prospect. And um, basically, it's it, you're pointing out something that you notice about them. It's very short. Uh, the rule of thumb is 125 words or less. Something you notice about them or what they're doing or what they have, uh, what they're up to, or something that just shows them right away that you are paying attention to them and that this email was written just for them. And then you point that out. You say, well, I'm, the reason I'm writing is because, you know, this is what I do. This is why I'm different. In fact, here's a link to a page that tells you a little bit more about me or maybe some of the other companies that I've worked for in your industry. Would it make sense for us to connect? And and you're inviting them to maybe start a little bit of dialogue. Now, you don't want to do everything via email from that point. All you want is for them to um, respond with a, hmm, yeah, maybe. Tell me more or you know, can you send me some pricing information? Can you uh, uh, tell me, do you do this kind of work? Anything like that would be a positive response. So I think warm email prospecting works really well for that kind of, you know, again, transactional weekly uh, going after clients. It, it's, it really is cold calling, but in, in a, I think a more effective way. Uh, because it's not seen as big an, an interruption as a phone call. And it's, uh, I think you have a higher chance of getting through to the person and having them read your information. In a cold call, the, the defenses go up immediately. And even if you have a great message that's very personalized, 
uh, it, a lot of people just won't respond well to it. Now, um, I, I, I believe in having a separate list beyond warm email prospecting, which again, that's transactional. Um, I believe in having what I would call a hot list or a strategic prospect list of let's say 10, 20 prospects max. These would be organizations that you would love to work for. So you've really thought long and hard about this list. And this is kind of your, you know, your dream list, right? And you want to be a little more strategic with how you prospect to that list. So this isn't gonna isn't gonna be just sending them one email type of thing. This is going to be kind of a multi-channel, multi-touch campaign over what could be several months all the way to several years. Um, you do not want to automate this in any way. And by the way, warm email prospecting, you do not want to automate either. But this is something you definitely don't want to automate. This is where you really want to reach into your network. You want to be creative and strategic about, okay, who knows who, who can connect me with somebody there, um, who are some of the key people, where are they involved, or can I meet them in a local association, can I, you know, you really, again, this is a, a very manual, long, drawn-out effort, but, you know, it's worth it because these are your dream clients. And um, it's worth spending more time, money, and resources going after them. So I, I, I'm a big believer in having two different lists. Um, and your hot list or your strategic prospect list is one that um, it should be much smaller and multi-touch, multi-channel. Um, in terms of how you find email addresses, uh, I'm going to address that in a few minutes because somebody else had a very similar question. And um, I think you'll, you'll, um, you, you'll like what I have to say. There's some couple easy ways of, of doing that. So um, anyway, great question. Thanks for submitting it. Let's get to the next one. Hi, Ed. My name is Prabhu. I'm from India. I would like to know about your process to follow up with clients uh, after the project is over. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank you, Prabhu. That is a great question uh, because I'm a big believer in following up with people. And, and I'm assuming your question really is more about you know, you've, you've wrapped up the project. How do you stay in touch with them? Not so much following up on how they liked it and revisions and all that. I think it, it's that goes without saying. You should follow up, make sure that they're happy, make sure that uh, we can close out the project. But what most freelancers don't do, and by the way, I've been very guilty of this, what most freelancers don't do is to stay top of mind, if you will, with their clients and with their prospects. They don't follow up. And when they do, it's more like, you know, several months later, a call or an email saying, Hey, uh, do you have anything for me? Do you have any projects I can help you with? And you know, that's okay, but I think you can do much better. And you know, what you really want to do is create a situation where you stay in touch in a relevant and value added way without asking for anything. You're adding value that way. First of all, you'd be the first freelancer they think of when they need uh, some writing that you can help them with. And also so it doesn't feel like you're always just asking for work and all you care is about yourself. Um, plus, it's a very professional thing to do. So what happened was, and I kind of stumbled into this, in my last sales job, uh, I was keeping track of my, my numbers and my metrics. And what I found is about 30% of my new clients every year 
were coming from my longer term prospects list. And and bear with me because I know probably was asking about clients, but this is and now I'm talking about prospects. I've never been clients. Longer term prospects were people who contacted me. They were interested. We engage in some dialogue either via email or in conversation. We may even have gone as far as, you know, demoing product, getting a proposal out, all that stuff. But they never became a client. And what, what I found was that, you know, that it was really just a timing issue. And I, the kind of the standard approach there was to just kind of move on. You know, we just, my company felt that there was no time to, to deal with those people, just move on and keep going after new prospects. And I said, you know what, time out. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and try to stay in touch with these folks um, in a value-added way and do it a little bit differently. And what I'm going to do is every couple of months, I'm going to send them an article uh, or something of interest that, you know, it's not me just checking to see if they're ready to buy. It's just sending them something of value. And I'm going to alternate between sending an email. Sometimes I'll uh, leave a voicemail or place a quick call with just an idea or a thought or just to check in. And then I'm also going to do it via mail, snail mail. I'm going to uh, clip an article, print out an article, send out a case study of someone we help that's in their industry, something along those lines. But I want something physical via snail mail. And what I found was that... Um, when I started doing this, I, I, I was seeding, if you will, these prospects. I started, I was planting seeds. And what I wanted was when the timing was right, I wanted them to think of me and to call me. And, and sure enough, it was working. Again, 30% of my new clients or customers every year started coming from that list of people that I was staying in touch with via this method I just described. Here's the cool thing. I didn't have to start from the very beginning, right? I had already done most of the heavy lifting. I had already done pricing. I had already demoed the product. I had already addressed a lot of their objections. I had already talked to their people, met with them. And now they were ready in many cases to make a decision right there and then. So I learned my lesson that it pays to stay in touch in a way that most people don't stay in touch, which is to not just call every two months and say, are you ready? Do you have something else for me? But just to send something of value with a quick handwritten note, uh, just saying, hey, you know, thought of you, thought you find this interesting. And um, I think it's worth doing this with clients. Uh, I believe that there are so many opportunities for freelance writers out there and freelancers in all professions, really, to get more work from clients. You know, you've already done the heavy lifting. You've already paid the price of establishing trust and credibility and get, landing that account, that client, and yet you only do one project for them. And I think that's a bit big mistake because anything you can do over that, you don't have the sales costs or the acquisition costs anymore. They already like you. They already trust you. Um, they're already buying into you. So anything, any additional projects you can do is gravy. Not only that, but especially with writing, you already understand their products. You understand their company. You understand their competitive landscape, their, uh, you know, who their customers are and all that good stuff. So the more you do, any incremental project, you um, actually it becomes more profitable because you don't have those that overhead, if you will, those 
hard fixed cost of learning all this other stuff. So all that to say, yes, stay in touch. I think every couple of months is a general good rule of thumb, unless you know something about them that would really, where, where it would make more sense to, to follow up more frequently or less frequently. Keep records. Uh, I think this is where a good contact management system can can help. Doesn't have to be anything very involved. Something like High Rise, uh, High Rise. I think it's HighRiseHQ.com. HQ is in headquarters, so HighRiseHQ.com. Contactually.com is another popular one. I use Salesforce.com, which. You know, I don't think it's everyone's favorite. I was already very familiar with it for my sales job, so I went ahead and implemented it. Uh, Zoho, Z-O-H-O dot com is another one uh, that's, that's fairly popular, easy to use. And all these reside in the cloud, by the way, meaning that they don't. Uh, the data is not in your computer, which is great because you can access it from anywhere. Uh, so if you happen to be working off-site, it's it's great to have access to to uh, to your records. So. Every couple of months, keep records, alternate the medium. I think that's important. And don't try to automate this. Uh, a lot of freelancers really want to automate this process. They want to make it more efficient. Resist the temptation. This works best when it's manual, when it's done uh, sincerely, and when there's a personal touch there. So um, try it out. I If you haven't done this before, I, I'm... I, I'm telling you, it's going to work really, really well for you. Maybe not overnight, but over the course of a year, it will make a huge difference. All right, let's go to the next question. Hi, Ed. Thanks for the q and I'm Diane from A-D-U-N-A-T-E dot com. My question regards researching the people to whom I want to target my marketing. I find myself spending a lot of time searching for their emails and phone numbers. Do you recommend paying for LinkedIn subscriptions? Do you feel the cost is worthwhile? Or do you recommend another source, whether it's paid or free? Thanks a lot. That is a great question. And so let me make a distinction here. I, I think LinkedIn is a, first of all, a wonderful resource. Uh, you, you need to be in LinkedIn no matter what. Uh, but I find that it's LinkedIn is better suited for research uh, and maybe as a backup contact channel. So I wouldn't necessarily use LinkedIn as the vehicle for sending out uh, prospecting notes or emails or private messages. Uh, I would if I just couldn't get the email address uh, elsewhere or if I'm just not having luck with email. But really, LinkedIn shines when it comes to research because of the advanced search features that are built in and you know all, all the research you can filtering you can do when you're searching for someone. Now, in terms of is it is it worth paying for premium membership? Well, so that what LinkedIn has done is you can do you can do quite a bit with a free version, but um, there are some great features of the of the paid version, but unfortunately they've made it they've kind of raised the bar. They've made it difficult to get in because even the lowest level of premium membership is pretty expensive. And I want to say it's um, $20 or $30 a month, um, which, you know, listen, if you're, if you're serious about this, that's you shouldn't even think about it. Uh, it should be a no-brainer. However, um, there are some options that, um, 
that are very cost effective. And I wanted to let you guys know about it because this is huge. Uh, and a lot of people aren't aware of, of some of these options. So there's a way you can get a free year of LinkedIn executive level membership. And the, listen, executive level membership is the highest level they have. It's something like $75 a month and you can get a full free year of it. Um, and there's, there's really no catch. So let me tell you how, you how you do it. It's actually very simple. There's a group in LinkedIn called LinkedIn for journalists. So go to the search bar, make sure to select groups. So you're searching within the groups area and type in LinkedIn for journalists. Okay. You guys as freelance writers are essentially journalists to begin with. Okay. So I don't feel bad in, in telling you about this because you really fit this category. So um, there's a, there's a search tab or link you'll see once you find the group, First of all, you should go ahead and join, apply for, for to, to join. You have to join. Somebody has to approve you. That's the first step. Once you're accepted, uh, look for the search tab or link. You know, this was, it shows members and posts and there's a search um, uh, link. So go ahead and click on that and then it'll bring up a uh, search field and type in the following keywords. I would try webinar first. So search for the word webinar. And um, see if you and, and I just tried it and it worked for me. What will come up is an announcement for a uh, a webinar that they're doing soon. And I think they call it a uh, it's a workshop. I think they call it. But the, the, you'll see there's an announcement for some sort of workshop or training. I think they might be calling it at a certain on a certain day at a certain time. Uh, usually the person posting about it, her name is Yumi Wilson, Y-U-M-I Wilson. So if webinar doesn't turn up uh, the, the result in the search field, try Yumi Wilson or try searching for training. I'm pretty sure that uh, they call it a training. And they do it about once a month. You have to sit through it. It's about an hour. And I think it's someone at LinkedIn who does it. And if you do that, what they're going to do is they're going to teach you how to use LinkedIn to find story sources, how to do research and so forth. I haven't been through it, but I've heard it's it's great. It's, it's it's worthwhile. And at the end, they'll give you instructions on how you can go ahead and get your free executive level upgrade. Um, I was a little skeptical about this, but I've had several coaching clients and several students in my programs do this, and they've all reported great results with it. There's no catch. Uh, it really is a full year of LinkedIn executive membership. And get this, at the end, you can sit through another training at the end of your year. You can sit through another training and they'll go ahead and renew your upgrade for another year. So at least so far, they've kept this going for a while. And, you know, you could you could have premium membership for a long time. Um, so anyway, try that out. I think it's fantastic. And I want to give a. A hat tip to uh, Sandra Jean-Louis, who uh, told me about this, gosh, about a year ago. She's one of my uh, alumni from one of my my B2B launcher programs. So thank you, Sandra. A lot of people have benefited from that, from that tip. And another resource that I wanted to point out to is Jigsaw.com. Jigsaw.com, uh, it actually is changed names 
recently. It's now uh, or data.com, and you can find it by either typing jigsaw.com or connect.data.com, connect.data.com. And this is basically a crowdsourced directory of contact information for millions of companies and millions of individuals in those companies. Um, you can... Uh, get contact information, phone numbers, addresses, and even email addresses for many of these individuals. Now, the cool thing is um, you can pay to have access to, to this information, and they have what I find to be actually a very fair price. $250 a year gets you up to 350 contacts. So you basically it buys you points, and you can use points. $250 gives you enough points to get 350 contacts, which I think is plenty. Uh, or you could also upload some contacts from your address book. And if they're not already in the system, they'll give you points. You know, there's a question as to how ethical that is to upload information that you might already have. Um, I'll leave that up to you to decide. But at a minimum, you can, you know, get on one of these plans. They have several of them. And the lowest one starts at $250 a year. Um, so, so that's, so that's another option. And I find it, it, that if I can't find the email address through Google searches and some creative searching in Google, uh, I can find that in Jigsaw. So again, I use LinkedIn to find the person's name, uh, where they are, uh, a little bit about them, uh, their title, but then I use either uh, searching in Google or jigsaw.com to find their email address and other contact information. Um, so the, the bigger question is, how much is, is too much time here? So if you, if you do this right, because you know, you're asking about the, the time that you spend looking for people's contact information, um, you, I think you should spend some, some time doing detective work on, on the prospect, who they are, their company, what they're up to, and just to determine if they look like they might be a viable candidate for your services. Um, so I don't get too hung up on I'm spending too much time. I'd rather you spend a little bit more time on each prospect and do a better job with the outreach and have it come across is the fact that you've you've done your homework, you understand who they are, what they're up to, and you really do want to work with them. Um, so try to resist the, the temptation of, of automating this process i think we've become a society where you know we expect everything to be done fast and automated we're looking for the easy way and listen i totally get that <laughs> i'm like that too but i think this is one of those things where it's best to, to really keep it manual keep it personal uh, i call it artisanal prospecting right so you know just like artisanal uh, cheesemakers and winemakers they're not rushing through this process it's not about mass producing product it's about you know, handcrafting something very special. And I think that's the way that I would treat most of my prospecting today because that's what really stands out. All right, so let's go to the next question. Hi, Ed. We all know how important it is for us to read, 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 read. But as Daphne would tell us, uh, we shouldn't be reading DRAC all the time. Now, I love to read, and I want to set aside a good slice of my day to read quality content from other B2B writers so that it constantly seeps into my brain. Um, that way I can emulate good style and form. 
uh, in the B2C world, um, I know there are various sources to finding the good stuff, but a lot of it has to do with reading and discerning good stuff from bad stuff. Can you recommend a good source or two where B2B writers can go to find examples of really excellent white papers, case studies, and the like? Obviously, we can go out and read such content from our current and prospective clients, and we can usually tell the really bad stuff from the good. But early on, we don't always know um, how to tell what's so-so writing from what's good writing and what's excellent writing. Thanks. Okay, and that question came from Les Worley, by the way. So, uh, it, you know, this is this is really an important question. I am a big believer in reading what other people are putting out, what other prospects and, and clients and, and your own clients are putting out there, just so you can kind of stay on top of uh, the industry, stay on top of what other people are doing and how they're communicating uh, what they do, their their value, their their services, et cetera. So um, I got a couple of ideas for you. So one is I would definitely get on the mailing list, the email mailing list of some of the, the key players in the industries that you're targeting. And, and, you know, you might have to set up a different email account for this. However you do it, it doesn't matter. The point is get on their email uh, list so that you can – be exposed to their their offers, be exposed to the content they're putting out there, their newsletter content, all the content offers that they make, prospects. So and, and then read that stuff. You know, I think the best way to do this is to carve out time at a certain day every week or every other week. You know, like let's say a Friday uh, from one to three, this is what you're going to be doing. Or every other Friday, however you want to do it. But I found that at least for me, if I don't schedule this time this stuff will build up and then i won't i won't get to it the other thing you might want to consider is going through uh going to some of the uh white paper syndication websites and these are these are sites that kind of collect and uh, house white papers from many many different vendors um, some of the better known ones are knowledge storm knowledgestorm.com techtarget.com. TechTarget focuses more on the technology industry. And, and even if you're not interested in white papers, it doesn't really matter. The, the great thing about white papers is that, first of all, there, there are these repositories, these syndication sites where they're going to be heavy uh, with content. And it, it's a great one-stop shop to really read some, some good content. Uh, but also, these are the pieces that really tend to kind of summarize what these companies are trying to put out there. So I think it's just a great, great type of, of document to read or stay on top of. In terms of um, how to determine what's good and what's bad, you know, the rule I've always followed is just trust your instincts, you know. So, um create a swipe file. You know, I, I, I don't do this as much anymore, but just, you know, read through these pieces, read through the content, read through these newsletters and emails. And of course, if, if you just the emails themselves are going to be a swipe file, which that, that I do do, I keep all kinds of email swipe files, but, um, you know, download their case studies their articles or white papers, uh, and, and then just read through them. And then take a highlighter to it in, in a pen 
and write down what it is you like. You know, just circle or highlight the areas that you think are really good and maybe the ones that are not so good. And that way you have kind of a knowledge base uh, that will help you on your next project. This is where I get a lot of ideas. I look to see what other people are doing. And, you know, I, I don't think I've found someone who does everything perfect and I just want to copy everything. So I borrow uh, the, the things that I find great from all these different people, all these different companies. And when I approach a project, I look to my swipe file for inspiration, for ideas. And um, that's how I start many projects. So I think it's worth keeping a swipe file, but just trust your instincts, you know, and, and I would say, listen, even if you don't understand the subject matter, that's actually good. I, I would I would still read it and you should find it compelling, even if you don't understand the subject matter. If you don't, there's probably something wrong with that piece. Um, look for patterns. Look to see how you're drawn in, even if you don't really care about the subject or you don't understand the subject. Are you drawn in? Are you do you understand the argument? Are, are you, do you feel yourself feeling persuaded? And, 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 you know, one great example is my son, my, my 11 year old, he's so funny. He loves to watch infomercials and it's great to see him be persuaded by some of these, uh, some of these infomercials. And, uh, he has no idea, you know, who would need anything like this, who would need, you know, these, I don't know, these rags that will wipe anything off, you know, and all say, I mean, First of all, he doesn't really do much cleaning other than his room. But it's funny to see him kind of be sucked into these pitches, um, even though he has no need for what they're selling. So become that person, right? Put yourself in that situation. If you feel yourself sucked in, um, there's even if, even if you have no need for this product or service, there's probably something going on there that's working really, really well. So try to deconstruct it and Try to templatize it. You know, I do believe when you have enough of a swipe file and you see these patterns and these little pieces here and there that you like, create your own templates for winning projects, right? For for winning sequences, if you will. Um, one thing I did want to say, though, um, is don't assume that the bigger the company the better the content. That's one mistake I made kind of early on in my career. I just got on the uh, mailing list of a bunch of different big software companies because in my case, I, I, you know, I go after the software market. And I thought that these were the ones to follow. These were the ones who had the best stuff. And I actually found the opposite to be true. In many cases, and I'd say in most cases, these are the companies that were putting out just pure trash. Um, so don't assume that it's going to be the bigger companies. Many times they do have great stuff, but not always. So don't go by the name, uh, and the image alone. Trust your instincts. Trust that, uh, what you're seeing that you like and is drawing you in is probably working for more than just yourself. All right, let's go to the next question. Hi, Ed. I'm torn between heart and head. I make more money through business copywriting, but spend much more time writing art articles for publications. By the hour, the article writing pays much less, but gives me much more pleasure. I want to expand my copywriting business, but don't want to leave the article writing in the lurch. I could give up the couple of hours of television in the evening, but I'm not productive after 6 p.m. anyway. Any thoughts? My site is TomBentley.com, and thank you for all your good work over the years. No, thank you, Tom. I appreciate you listening to the show, and I appreciate the feedback. 
you know, the good news is that at least it sounds like most of your time is spent doing the work that you like best. So you were already really do, spending most of your time on the article writing for publications. I think it'd be tougher to have the opposite problem. So at least you're enjoying the work. And uh, it sounds like you, you're already stretched thin but you want to land more copywriting work and mostly because it pays so well. Uh, and it sounds like this may, uh, all, all this may take is really shifting from let's say 80, 20 content and copy to 60, 40 to a 60, 40 ratio, something like that. And I'm just throwing some numbers out there. Um, so, so this is, I don't think a, a huge, problem in terms of you know turning things around completely is just a, a slight shift a, you know, easier said than done right uh, my suggested approach would be to go after new copywriting clients or maybe find more opportunities for more projects with existing copywriting clients and give yourself some time give yourself three to six months uh, and this is going to be kind of your stretch period. This is going to be where you'll you'll make that shift gradually. So that that's one idea. An alternate solution would be to um, work on becoming more productive. That way you can earn the same in in less time, or you could use the extra time to take on more copywriting work. So you know, let's go back to those ratios. If you're doing eighty twenty now, eighty percent of your time is on article writing, 20% is on copywriting, but the 20% they spend on copywriting is is paying most of your bills or providing you with most of your income, then, okay, what if you could become just 10 or 20% more productive every day by just implementing some very simple ideas? And you guys heard me talk about this. I got a whole program on this, um, really developing more periods of focus throughout the day. I really think there's some serious opportunities for all of us to become more productive just by focusing better and hacking our way to focus. Sometimes we really have to hack our way there. We can't just do it on our own. We need tools. We need to turn off distractions, you know, uh, putting a timer on and, and just turning everything off and working on that project until the timer goes off and taking a nice break, coming back to that project again with a timer. And uh, so that's one idea. You guys heard me talk about the 50, 20, 50, 50 minutes of focus time, 20 minute break, 50 minutes of focus time. Again, the key is turning everything off. No distractions, no phone, your office doors closed, no social media, no email. And um, so, so doing things like that, there are many things that you could implement to, to kind of help you hack uh, your way to greater focus, which automatically leads to greater productivity. And now you've just carved out or, or, or uncovered some new time that you can use to take on maybe a little bit more copywriting work. Or again, you might make a different decision and say, well, look, you know, I actually kind of enjoy knocking off a little earlier every day and I'm actually pretty happy with my income. But now there's this new uh, newfound time that you know, I, I just hadn't thought about it before. And now I can enjoy that extra time to do X, work on a hobby or, you know, go bike riding or spend more time with my kids or my wife or volunteer work or whatever. So anyway, again, I think this is really just, um, I, I would still work on the productivity thing. I would give myself six months 
to find maybe another copywriting client or maybe find more opportunities with my existing clients. And, um, and that's it. I think this thing kind of magically works itself out when you set it as an intention and you start working towards it and you do the right things. It's very difficult to say, well, this is exactly how you do it because when you intentionally try to uh, go after something at that level of specificity, it doesn't usually work out exactly that way. But if when you work towards it and you're smart about it and you just take daily and weekly action towards it, um, I find that it um, that it it does happen. Next thing you know, gosh, you know, it, it didn't happen overnight, but I've just found myself suddenly um, with with a little bit more copywriting work, earning more, and really enjoying my work. So anyway, uh, let us know how you do, and uh, I wish you the best. I'm sure you'll you'll do great. All right, let's go to our next question. Hi, Ed. Jules Smith here. First, I wanted to thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. I think it's a great idea. My question concerns time. I often worry that I'm spending too much time on a certain project, so I'm just wondering if you could address that, talk about uh, how much time you spend researching, writing, and so forth. Of course, it depends on the variables of the project, but just in general. Thanks, Ed. Have a great day. Hey, Jules. Thanks so much for the kudos, and uh, that's a great question. Um, it, the answer is it depends. <laughs> um, instead of giving you a, a rule of thumb, uh, let me give you a way that you can gauge that better and then make uh, better decisions on you know whether or not you're spending more time or less time on a project. So this is what I typically do. Uh, I, I track how much I earn on a typical project, and I'll do it by project. So let's say a you know, a 2000 word article and I'll track the next few projects that I do around that size. I will track my time. Um, and I will also track how much I earned on each one, how much I charged. And what I'll do is for each project is I will calculate my average internal hourly rate for that project. And, uh, and you can do this for all project types. I just like to break it down by, uh, by project type. And that way I have different uh, data for different categories of projects. So calculate your internal hourly rate, assuming that you're charging a flat project fee. Calculate your internal hourly rate for each of those. And then look at that number. And I think at that point, it's very easy to start making decisions. So let me give you an example. Let's say that your average uh, hourly rate for the last three or four articles is $112 an hour. And let's say that your average internal rate for the last few blog posts that you've written is $44 an hour. Well, I mean, this is great because, you know, say $112 an hour, you're very happy with that. Let's say that, gosh, I didn't know it was that high. This is actually better than I thought. I, I thought on articles I was spending way too much time. But, you know, according to this, I'm either charging the right amount or you know, or, or I'm, I'm very productive and I'm getting these out the door in an efficient way. On the blog post, gosh, I hadn't really thought about that. 44 an hour, that's just, that's way too low. So either I'm not charging enough or I'm inefficient uh, or I'm not approaching this the right way or, you know, maybe I need to look at my process. Maybe I need to look at the expectations with a client, you know, whatever. 
So that's how I like to look at this because I don't think there are really rules of thumb. You know, articles should should take you so much per word. I I think that's. Um, I mean, you can kind of come up with those numbers yourself based on your history, but I've never seen kind of industry averages. And I can give you some ranges. You know, like for instance, on white papers, I know that I'll spend twenty to forty hours total time on a white paper. And I might spend more, I might spend less, but most of them fall for me within that range. So that's good to know. But that came from just years of tracking. But the hour, the number of hours itself doesn't really matter if you don't know how much you're getting for the work. So you need to compare both, come up with an internal hourly rate that you're earning on these projects, and then make some decisions. So I, I hope that answers your question. And I hope that provides you with some insight that you can um, start implementing and applying and making some adjustments. All right, let's go to the next question, which is from uh, Damien. Hi there, Ed. It's Damien Elsing here from Australia. And uh, just wanted to say hi. Really love the podcast. Um, I've only just recently discovered it and just been listening to lots of the old episodes end to end. And uh, every episode, there's something really valuable um, and it's almost like a whole new business idea in every episode. So really getting a lot out of them. Keep up the good work. Um, I just had a listener question. I was wondering if you could maybe talk about it on your show sometime. And that is, what do you think about writers showing their prices on their website? Uh, I've thought a lot about it, about the pros and cons. Uh, and I'm really not sure which is best. And I just really like your, um, your opinion on that and to see if you'd sort of tried different options or heard feedback from others on what works and what doesn't in terms of um, showing your hourly rate or pricing schedule. So um, keep up the good work and uh, looking forward to hearing lots more episodes in the future. Thanks. Hey, Damien. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate the kudos and I'm glad you're getting a lot from the show. Um, this is a great question and it's one that I've, I think about quite a bit because I get asked this uh, frequently. I'll tell you that I'm on the fence on this issue. I don't feel strongly either way, but I tend to lean more towards not posting your fees on your website. So let me give you kind of the good and the bad here. I think the the good that can come out of posting your fees is that it can help prospects self-qualify early in the process um, and before they contact you. In that way, if there's going to be some strong objections based on the fees, you didn't even have to deal with that inquiry and waste your time. The bad is that it can encourage early contact or no contact decisions based on what really is limited information and really based mostly on, on a price. So I'll, I'll give you an example from my own personal life. Uh, a couple months ago, my wife wanted to buy a rug for our foyer. And I don't know anything about rugs. I have no idea how much this stuff costs. We had spent a long time um, since we had bought a rug. So I don't know. I have no context. And she said she was about to order it online. She found one she liked, and it was $600 or six-something. Now, you might be listening to this and say, well, that's nothing. I, I have no idea. I just know that to me, $600 for a rug? What, are you kidding me? Um, I, I told her that I thought that was crazy. And she said, well, it, you know, it, it's actually a, a very nice rug. And she showed me the catalog and 
the catalog copy did a really good job of explaining the value of the rug, right? And why it was different and better from others. Uh, and yeah, I said, well, okay, whatever. I, I still wasn't convinced, but let me tell you something. That rug came and we put it in the foyer and I immediately saw the value. I mean, this thing was nice. Uh, we've never owned a rug that nice, that thick. It felt luxurious and it looked luxurious. And, and now that $600 or $650, whatever it was, uh, is I, I can now put it in context, right? So um, it, it's the same thing with the price. Uh, if you're going to post fees on your website, you just have to make sure that the, your website does an excellent job of communicating your value and your difference and why that difference matters. Otherwise, it's just it's just a number, and people are just going to make a decision based on the number. If you're not giving them anything else to temper that number with, then they're just going to make a decision on that number, whether or not to contact you. My goal for my website is to get the prospect 75% pre-sold on hiring me before we even talk, before he or she even emails me or anything. I want them to understand my value and my difference in that I'm probably the right person for them just from reading my website. Uh, or maybe some some of that had to do with the fact that they were recommended, but they still came to my website. And they read that, and they're like, man, this sounds great. Let me contact Ed. Uh, and then we can talk about pricing on their particular project during that initial call. Now, it also depends on what kind of markets you go after, what kind of clients you work with. If you work with, say, a lot of small businesses, it can be a good idea to post prices on your website. If a lot of the work you do is very transactional, um, meaning you know you just tend to do just some, just a couple of quick short projects for a bunch of different clients over the course of a year, then it can be a good idea to post your fees because people, you know, your prospects are making very quick decisions based on some a few data data points, and one of those data points from your website has to be your pricing. Now. It's not a model I recommend if you're a freelance writer and you're trying to earn a great living. You can do it that way, and there's some things you can do depending on your business model, depending on how you work it. I've seen some very creative models. Um, but if you if you work in a market where you know your 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 average project size is going to be you know a couple thousand dollars or or higher, and if you already work in in markets where they already get the value of of a great copywriter or a great content writer then I don't think it's, it's, it's as essential to have your fees posted. I think it's, I would spend my time and energy selling myself first and then just inviting that inquiry. And then I'm happy to have a conversation with that prospect. Or you know what, honestly, even in an email exchange, you know, if I can tell that they're, they're qualified um, and, and they're just trying to gauge my my fee range. If they give me something specific that they they need help with, I can give them a range, and I don't mind doing that. But I think that's very different than having it posted on your site. So again, I'm on the fence. It really depends on your situation. I prefer to not have them there. Let my website sell me and my value of my difference, and then have that invite that that inquiry that conversation. But you'll have to make a decision based on the prospects you go after and uh, 
based on how you're positioning yourself on your site. All right. So that's it for the questions that were pre-submitted. Again, I would love to hear from you. I would love to get some feedback on what you think of this format and doing this every few weeks. Uh, so leave me a comment in, uh, sorry, a comment in the comments section of the show notes page, which is b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 42. Would love to get your um, your opinion either way. And if you have a question for a future Q&A show, go to speakpipe.com forward slash Ed Gandia. And it's very straightforward once you get there. Just hit the record button when you're ready. And all I ask again is that it's a specific question. The more specific, the better. And that you kind of keep it to a minute or under. That just uh, helps keep the show moving along. So, again, I wanted to remind you, you can grab the details show notes to this episode at b2bluncher.com forward slash episode 42. And I had a couple of quick announcements, a couple of quick comments. First, I wanted to make sure that you knew about my new podcast, Smarter Freelancing. It just launched a couple of weeks ago, and this is the sister podcast to High Income Business Writing. But whereas High Income Business Writing is focused on the business of commercial writing, Smarter Freelancing is not focused on any one specific freelance profession. Instead, it's for any type of freelancer who wants to earn more in less time doing work they love for better clients. So if that idea sounds attractive to you, check it out at smarterfreelancing.com or subscribe to it in iTunes. Uh, right now I'm publishing it just twice a month and I currently have just two episodes posted. Again, just launched two, three weeks ago. Uh, so it's brand new. Would um, would love to get your feedback and, and hope you check it out. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be very grateful if you shared it with friends. And the easiest way to do that is just to use any of the social media sharing buttons that you see on the show notes page. And it would also mean a lot to me if you'd be willing to give the show a quick rating or review on iTunes. And the best way to do that is just to go to b2blauncher.com forward slash iTunes. Ratings and reviews really does help give the show some extra visibility and increases the chances that those who need this material but haven't heard of the show will come across it in iTunes. So that brings us to the end of the episode. I am your host, Ed Gandia. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have an awesome day. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.